You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Timothy not to teach others with his style, not to teach other with his philosophies, not to teach other with his theories, but to teach other the apostolic word, the apostolic doctrine, which is the word of God. He said, the things that you've heard from me, what was poured into Paul, then he was responsible to pour it into others. And that's how ministry works. That's how ministry works. The job of training leaders is not simply the part of pastor's job description. It's not just the pastor of a church that has the responsibility of ministering to people. As Pastor Dave's going to show you today, it's the collective effort of every believer. Everyone is called to make disciples of the world, to go out and spread the good news of Jesus to everyone in the world that needs it. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 7 as he begins his message, The Axe Handle Floats. We're starting chapter 6 in 2 Kings, and we're just going to look at a couple verses. As you know, I get long-winded and get involved in a study, and I just can't get moving on to these things. I'm amazed that some of the teachers that I hear go two, three chapters a night. And um, I have a hard time doing that because there's so much in there. However, if we give a shotgun approach, that just gives you more impetus to read on your own and glean what the Lord would want to do on your own. But yeah, that's okay. You have to put up with me. Anyhow. So 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to look at 1 through 7. Again, I'm going to read this aloud. 2 Kings 6, 1 to 7. Let's see what the Lord has to say and. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Now see, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please, let us go into Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he said, and he answered, I will go. So when he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell off into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. So, Scripture tells us that Elisha was not only a minister and a prophet, but he was an overseer of several schools of the prophets. We talked about this at length. At these schools, young men who were called by God into the ministry were trained and encouraged through God's word. From Scripture, we know that there were schools in Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho, you can find that in 2 Kings 2. 
But we also read in 1 Samuel 19, verses 22 through 24, that there was a school in Samuel's hometown of Ramah, perhaps started by Samuel himself. What's interesting here is that both Elijah and Elisha were concerned with the next generation and they wanted them to know the Lord and understand his word. And as I read this, I got to thinking about this, the next generation, building them up, raising them up so that they would also know God's word and then they would be able to carry God's word to that generation. And I was led to 2 Timothy 2, where Paul is writing his another letter to his beloved son, Timothy, who is in Ephesus as pastor. And he writes these words. In chapter 2, verse 2, he writes this. And the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And I found this to be quite poignant. Paul was telling Timothy that God gave him this ministry, but he didn't give him the ministry to keep to himself. He didn't give him the ministry and said, here, Timothy, here's a real secret. Now go hide it and look at it. No, he gave him the ministry to pass on to others. He gave him the ministry to pass on to others. And an essential work of anyone in leadership, especially a pastoral role or anybody else in eldership, was to pour into others what God has poured into them and committed them to. It's what we do. It's how we work. One may say that everything that a pastor does in his ministry, he should train up others to do. Everybody should know what is being done by watching what the pastor does. There are no duties of a pastor so holy and so secret that they should be kept all to himself. I don't go behind a curtain and do things like they did in the Old Testament. The priests wore bells on the bottom of their tassels. They had ropes tied around their leg that if they went in there and did something wrong and God killed them, the bells would stop ringing and then they could pull them out because nobody was allowed into the Holy of Holies. What happened there was between the priest and God. But it's not that way here. It's not that way. The pastor should always seek to spread the ministry about the others and train up workers in the ministry, which again, the Apostle Paul, in those beautiful verses in Ephesians 4, in verse 11 and 12, he says this, speaking about gifts of the Spirit, he says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for edifying of the body of Christ. The purpose of these gifts of leadership is very clear. It's so that the saints, God's people, you guys, might be equipped for the work of the ministry, for service, so that the body of Christ will be built up and expanded and strengthened. This is one of the reasons why you see us with various outreaches. We have outreaches at the Commons. We have an outreach at Victoria Manor. We used to have an outreach at Vic Beachcomber Campground. We have an outreach coming up on Thanksgiving Day. We have an outreach coming up on December 7th. There are other times of ministry so that you can put in practice what you've been learning here. So you can put in practice what God is doing in your heart with other people by sharing the love of God. And that's what we do. 
Equipping also has the right of being put right. The ancient Greek word is used to describe setting broken bones or mending nets. The ministries work together to produce strong Christians. And that's our hope. And that's why we teach the word of God. That's why we teach the word of God. So you will know it and you'll be able to go and use it. God's people do the real work of the ministry. Leaders in the church have the first responsibility to equip the people to serve and direct their services. Should you come to me, which none of you do anymore because you know what's going to happen, when you come to me and go, I got a great idea for ministry, we should do this, this, and this, the first thing I'm going to say is, great idea, I'll give you every support you need, go and do it. So that's what we do. So Paul told Timothy not to teach others with his style, not to teach others with his philosophies, not to teach others with his theories, but to teach other the apostolic word, the apostolic doctrine, which is the word of God. He said, the things that you've heard from me, what was poured into Paul, then he was responsible to pour it into others. And that's how ministry works. That's how ministry works. The job of training leaders is not simply the part of pastor's job description. He should not only train leaders when there is a need for a leader, we should also train leaders in the congregation. We should train leaders for the kingdom of God. We should all be witnesses of him. We should all be witnesses. We constantly say, if you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, come forward and you will receive power and high so that you will be his witnesses. Witnesses. That's the whole key. So that others will know. So Paul told Timothy to commit this to faithful men. And you can see how much of a tangent I went on. Faithful men, and I love what it says in Acts 6. In Acts 6, it's talking about basically the installation of deacons, but listen to this. The, the apostles were serving, and they were dividing bread every day. They were dividing food. Remember, they had all things in common, and they gave everything away, and they constantly gave things away. Well, they were spending so much time giving things away and helping with the distribution of food, they didn't have time for the word of God. They knew that what they were supposed to do was to teach the word of God. So someone came to them and complained. Our people, it was the Hellenistic Jews, the Greeks, our people are not getting the same treatment as your people. So they said, wait a minute, we can't do this. I can't be involved in this. So therefore, brethren, in verse 3 of chapter 6 in Acts, seek out from among you seven men. What were the qualifications? Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom that we may appoint them to the business. So they had to train up these guys and get these guys to go and do these things. So it's the same principle. It's the same principle here. So Timothy was supposed to pour in the apostles' doctrine and put in the practice, and he was to look for those who were qualifying by being faithful. Faithful in the small things? I'll make you faithful in the great things. Mark did a great teaching going back about the man with the talents. He said, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in much. He didn't need to find smart guys. He didn't mean to find popular men, strong men, perfect men, good-looking men. Paul told him to look for faithful men. Look for those who came to church, those who worked in church, those who picked up a vacuum cleaner without being asked. Those who wanted to serve the Lord, and you'd have to constantly ask them to do something. Those who were showing leadership roles or showing faithfulness in that. And that's what ministry is all about. So many people that I know and I've come across say, I can't wait till I get in the ministry. I'm really going to do this. Well, what are you waiting for? If God has called you to ministry, minister. 
But God has given you the gift of ministry, then well, then minister. What is ministry anyhow? What is the word, Greek word for minister? Somebody tell me. Servant is the Greek word for minister. Servant. So serve. Serve. Anyhow, I'm, I'm back. Okay, anyhow. So Elisha continued in the footsteps of Elijah and Samuel. Many pastors even today start schools of ministry. They start schools of ministry and they train up people. And this is what's happening here. Servants who are ready to serve God to their generation. And obviously, my last point is, who is the greatest example we have? Yeah, it's a Bible study, folks. It's always going to be Jesus. Come on. The answer is always going to be Jesus. It's a Bible study. Yeah, right. You can't go wrong. He took 12 guys, poured his heart into them for three and a half years. The scripture says he loved them to the end. He gave them everything he had. Remember in John, when we've been studying, he manifested the father to them perfectly. He taught them his word. He did everything to them. So he is our example. He is our example. And it's cool because the great commission, if you read in Matthew 28, the great commission, it says, go out and save the world. Right? Doesn't? Oh, no, it says, go out and make disciples. Now, Salvation is paramount to be a disciple. Don't get me wrong. But go out and make disciples. A disciple is someone who learns. A disciple is a student. A disciple is one who wants to learn in the knowledge of Christ. And that's what we're called to do, is make disciples. So that's what's happening here. Whew. That's what's happening here. I told you, I get off on these tangents, I can't get away. But we must always be looking to the next generation. We always must be looking to the next generation. I got news for you. They're not looking at us. We need to look for them. We need to really reach out to them. So this is what Elijah did, and Elisha follows the example. So he had this school of prophets, and it appears that they all live together. They had a communal household that they shared, but it was getting crowded. Look at verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. As they guys studied the scriptures as they practiced prophecy, as they continued to be discipled by Elisha, naturally their number's going to increase. Their number's going to increase. If you look at Acts chapter 2, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer and in the breaking of bread and fellowship, and Acts 2.47 says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who would be saved. So Elisha is teaching God's word. Elijah is raising up prophets. Elijah is teaching them, and naturally, God is going to add. God is going to add to their numbers. Well, it got so big, one of them came to Elisha and said, we're going to need a bigger boat. Come on, guys, wake up. Come on. Come on. You got to keep up with this stuff. Come on. Come on. Anyhow, I'm sure that the more miracles Elisha performed, the more people were drawn to him, like Jesus, right? The more people were drawn to him. So God blessed the school in Jericho, but it had gotten crowded. And I love this because when I thought about this, blessings are wonderful, but blessings bring about problems. Most of them, they're good problems, but there's a problem. Where they were living wasn't big enough. This is a problem. The size of the building was too small, so they wanted to build a new place. Where God guides, God provides. 
God is always providing when he is guiding. And that's what we stand on here at Calvary Chapel, where God guides, God provides. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. So they said to him, please, let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So Elisha answered, go. And then one said, please, consent to go with your servants. And he said, I will go. So first of all, they asked Elisha permission to go down to the Jordan so they can cut trees down, get beams, and make a new place to live. Elisha said, I'll go. I love this guy's heart. I really love this guy's heart. He had a heart of a shepherd. He wanted to go where the men were. He wanted to work right alongside them. Elisha was willing to go with the men. And I wrote this. You should not ask someone to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. And I'm thinking of toilets. And ask someone to clean the toilet if you're not willing to clean it yourself. You're not willing to get down and scrub floors. If you're not willing to get marks out of the floor, if you're not willing to do whatever, don't ask someone else to do it. Elisha had this heart. He wasn't going to let his guys go down there and chop down trees. He was going to go with them because two things will happen. Number one, they'll see him working and they'll go, yeah, they'll get an idea that that's what ministry is about, working alongside people. Plus, while he's working, I know Elisha, he's ministering. He's ministering while he's working. So he's still continually talking to these guys. So they go down to the River Jordan and they begin to cut down trees. Verse 4. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down trees. All right. So they're down there cutting down trees and things are going along well. So this one guy is cutting down trees and suddenly something happens to him. He has an accident. Read verse 5. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. That's an interesting thing to say. To me, it's an interesting thing to say. He didn't say, Oh, I dropped the axe. No, he said, Oh my gosh, it was borrowed. <laughs> the guy cuts down trees, and suddenly the head of his axe falls off, lands into the river. It's interesting there's a special law about this. <laughs> There's a special law about axes flying off the handles. I know. There's a special law about this. Come on. There's a special law about this. In Deuteronomy 19, now it is a specific tip of law. It doesn't quite apply here. But in Deuteronomy 19, listen to verses 4 and 5. You don't have to turn here. In Deuteronomy 19, 4 and 5, it says, And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live, whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hatred in him in the past. As when a man goes into the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke, and he acts to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle, strikes the animal, so he dies. There's a law about this. It talks about this. So it, it kind of applies. So this guy's upset. He's cutting down this tree. The axe handle flies off. And it goes in there. Why did they have a law about that? Well, it must have happened a lot. <laughs> it must have happened a lot. You know, after about the 13th time, they go, you know, we probably should have a law about this. We're losing guys left and right because axe handles are flying off. I don't know. Must have happened a lot. Anyhow, alas, master, it's borrowed. The student knew he was responsible for the axe head. He had borrowed the axe head, and because it had fallen into the water, he was going to have to make restitution. He was going to have to get back. It was borrowed. Elisha, it was borrowed. Come on. So Elisha comes in, and I love it. I love what Elisha says. He comes in in verse 6. So the son of Mech said, where did it fall? 
in the water. <laughs> Where did it fall? Down there. Well, come with us to Israel and we'll show you the Jordan River. And I guarantee you, you won't see the bottom. It is one of the muddiest, nastiest looking rivers I've ever seen. I mean, wow. So he said, where did it fall? I'm like, what? What are you asking me for? Where did it fall? And he showed him the place right there, right there. So they didn't look in. He didn't reach down and get it. He didn't try to pick it out. He showed him the place where it fell. So Elisha says, so he cut a stick, threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Can you imagine the look on this guy's face when that bad boy comes up and starts to bounce? Can you imagine the look on this guy's face when that bad boy came up? I would have loved to have been there. Hey, listen to what happened here. Elijah uses a stick once again. He loves picking up sticks and throwing them in the water and doing this and doing that. It's very similar to what Moses did back in Meribah. He takes a stick, he throws it in the water, and the axe head comes up. There was no trickery involved. He didn't magically take the stick and go, and the axe head popped up. He didn't say abracadabra. He didn't say eeny, genie jelly beanie. Oh, come on, you mean you don't remember Rocky and Bullwinkle? Come on. He didn't say those things. Tom's gone, why am I here? <laughs> he didn't say those things. He threw the stick in the water, and the Lord did the rest. He throws the stick in the water, and the Lord does the rest. The axe head floats up to the top. I love this quote from Spurge. Quote, God can do all things. He can make iron swim, yet we cannot. And yet you see the prophet did it. And he did it by the use of a stick. He cut down a stick. Was there any connection between the stick and the iron? I can't see any. Yet God does use means, and he would have us use means as well. What a great quote from Spurgeon. God uses whatever God uses. And it's incredible. It's incredible to watch him use things and do things. I mean, you read through the Old Testament, and he made a donkey speak. He might be making one speak right now, for all I know, but he made a donkey speak. He made a donkey say things. So it floats to the top, and look what happens now. Therefore, Elisha said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. You know, God always does his part, and then he likes to include us. God does his part always so wonderfully. We go out and we share the gospel. I might share the gospel with somebody who has a hardened heart. And I leave. You may come along and you might say a few things as you water a little bit. I planted the seed. You water a little bit. Somebody else might come along after you and still something happens. Something happens here. But you never know when that Holy Spirit, boom, God gives the increase. You are assured.
You've been listening to a teaching from the book of 2 Kings with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. There's a theme that you notice throughout this book. A person's actions have consequences. In the case of the majority of kings in this book, it was evil actions that incurred negative consequences. Do you think God enjoys handing out consequences for sin? On the contrary, just as a parent would prefer willful obedience, God desires for people to seek after Him and follow what He says because it's best for them. When that isn't the case, it grieves Him to put forth discipline, but it's always with a heart for people to come back to Him for their good. If you missed any part of today's teaching or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about what you heard. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. In addition to that, you're welcome to email us at info at capewatchradio.com with any questions, concerns, or prayer requests. Would you rather talk to us in person? Then think about joining us this Sunday for a time in God's Word at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Everything you need to know is on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Thank you again for taking time to learn from the book of 2 Kings today. We hope you'll join us again on Assure Hope.